0: Well, as we begin this morning church, I wanna offer a quick update and give you some context to a little bit of what we've been trying to tackle through the month of October. Uh, If you remember, we wrapped up our series at the end of September that led us to look through uh, promises and and the devoted life and what it was like to really practice discipleship here in our congregation. And then as we got to the month of October, we said these promises are for all people and we wanna have an opportunity to carry these promises that we have in this gospel, that we have in Christ to our community and to our world. And so through the month of October, we're exploring how do we take this to the community. And a lot of this is coinciding with some things that we've been celebrating as a church throughout the year. Um, If you're a guest or a visitor with us this morning, let me give you a a brief overview of some context. Uh, This is our church's 90th anniversary. Amen? Right? It's been awesome. And we've had a chance to celebrate uh, throughout the year in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that we wanted to commemorate this milestone was to launch a campaign that we've been referring to as a 90 and 90 campaign the marketing department was really excited about that It was real creative right 90 and 90 where we ultimately just wanted to to raise $180,000, and 90 of it we would use to help cover some of the expenses that we had facing our church and things that are going on within these walls but the other 90 we wanted to give to our community and we just kind of wanted to give it away and so a quick update on where things stand we, we launched this campaign at the uh in the middle of september and by the end of September, we had brought in, I think, around $124,000 as a church family. So give your ha- yourselves a hands for that. It's really remarkable the generosity that you have been able to demonstrate. And part of what we were able to do in addition to that was through the selling of a property that we owned on Shirley Avenue, we were able to uh, cover, and in addition to the generosity that you guys demonstrated through the 90-90 campaign, we were able to cover uh, the things that we had to tackle within our church, right? We had about a $90,000 shortfall as a result of the debt payments that we were making on our roof. And so thankfully, we had more than satisfied that. We sold the property and we put a huge dent in our debt payments, which is great and and very encouraging. Um, And so what that meant is that after we were able to do those things, we looked and what we had left over for this gift to give to the community, uh, at the end of September, we had around $84,000 towards our $90,000 goal to give to the community. So again, amen? Right? It's exciting. We're so close. And so I have full confidence that we're going to be able to meet this goal and be able to give to our community. Here are some updates for you. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, allow this campaign, to, to allow you all to give and consider giving to this campaign through the end of the month of October. And so over the next 11 days, couple of weeks, week and a half, if you would like to continue to give towards this, then we would encourage you to do so. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to hit that 90 and then exceed it. Now, What happens if we exceed it? The Finance Committee met this past Wednesday and their decision was to say anything over and above this $90,000 that might be given to finish off this campaign will go towards our debt payment. That's a a great thing because that gets us a head start on this next fiscal year to continue to pay off that debt for our roof. And so uh, should we exceed it, I want you to know that that's where the money will be directed. In addition to that, Part of what I want you to be thinking through and the emphasis that we're going to have over the next 11 days or so is, is as much as we have put forward a numerical goal, uh, what I really want this to be is another opportunity to foster the sort of community that we've cultivated here uh, in the, the way that we can demonstrate togetherness as a church family. And so I think at the end of September, we were around 56, 59% of our congregation that had, had an opportunity to support and engage in this, this campaign. And so what I would love for us to strive for is 100% participation, uh, which, which is, is a, a lofty goal, but it's one that I think is admirable and worth pursuing. And, and it would be so great for us to get to the end of this and say, Man, this is something our whole church did. And so let me, let me just say, if you've already given and you feel compelled to give again, awesome. Uh, we will accept it. Um, if you have not had a chance to give for whatever reason, I wanna encourage you to continue to pray through. Uh, what would it look like for you to give sacrificially, cheerfully and generously. Um, and then whatever that amount is, we'll celebrate what God is doing in our church. Uh, but the idea, and this kind of transitions us into our time today and what we've been doing last week and are gonna do next week as well, is that when we have this, this gift that we've raised for the community, um, we wanted to identify a couple of organizations that we could disperse these funds to as a gesture of generosity, as a gesture of support and love to try to meet and address the needs within our community. And so we identified three different organizations that we wanted to be recipients of this gift. we take that $90,000 and disperse it amongst these organizations. And so last week we had a chance to hear from Seminary Hills Park Elementary School. We had a couple of administrators here and they had a chance to share a little bit about what their needs were. So cool, by the way, one of the things they hit on last week was that they needed a washer and dryer just to help because a lot of the kids in their school don't always have the chance to wash clothes. And within a week, guess what? Somebody out there in our church donated a washer and dryer, which is pretty awesome, right? I love it. It's so great. That's the whole idea, right? That when we hear needs, we want to be able to meet them in the love of Christ. And so we had a chance to hear from them, pray over them, and, and love on them. And next week, we're going to hear from Traffic 911, which helps with uh, human trafficking in the, in the area. And uh, the, the theme to all of these is child advocacy and, and how do we step up and help children that are in need or at risk. And so today, we're excited to continue this conversation as we have a chance to hear from Mark Melson, who's the president and CEO of Gladney Center for Adoption. Uh, we're going to spend some time visiting with him, getting to know a little bit more about Gladney and seeing how we can pray for them. And, and here's the mindset I want you to have as we get ready to, to enter into this time of Q&A. When we started this series in October, the first week of October, we mentioned this, this moment in Acts chapter three where Peter and John heal this crippled man outside the temple walls. And we saw that their response to this crippled man was very unexpected. And it was unexpected in three different ways. It was personal, it was holistic, and it was intimate, right? And and, and that's kind of the model that we're trying to follow here. We didn't want to just identify organizations and, and send some sort of a gift to them. What we said is, well, we want to get to know you personally. We want this to be relational. How do we get to know more about your work and your efforts. Uh, We want this to be holistic. This is not just about some sort of economic gesture. This is about us having a greater understanding about the needs and the risks that are facing our community. And we also want it to be intimate. And so anytime you have a chance to pray with somebody and worship alongside someone, it creates that sort of intimacy that we desire in the body of Christ. And so that's our goal today. And so with that being said, let me invite Mr. Mark Melson to come to the stage and you all put your hands together to welcome him. Yeah, go ahead and grab that mic, Mark. And you can go ahead and join me over here to my right, and we're so grateful to have you and your thank family you. here. And so I tell you what, do us a favor and just tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce us, tell you who you got, tell us who you have with us, and, and kind of what led you to Gladney. I,
1: I absolutely will. First, let me say thank you for letting us uh, come out and share a little bit of our story. Um, it's such an honor to get to uh, spend time with such a dedicated and passionate uh, uh, group of community of Christians and and uh, that believe in what we do as well. So, uh, my name is Mark Melson. I've been with the Gladney Center for Adoption for the past almost 12 years now. I brought with me my wife, Jennifer, and my two beautiful daughters, Lily and Maddie, and our son, Jonathan, who's raising his hand. Glad Uh, to have you all
0: here, absolutely.
1: And so, I've been uh, the President and CEO for the last two years, and uh, Jeremiah and I were joking earlier, when I got there, when I, and when I came to Gladney, I was really involved in how we can grow our efforts um, through our development efforts and, and things like that. And then over time, I, I had enough success there and, and uh, proved worthy, I guess, that they slowly gave me a little more of the organization. And, and when our, our former CEO retired, uh, I, was, I was blessed enough to get the opportunity to run this great organization. And we're, we're heading into a, a, a wonderful time at Gladney, so it's exciting to get to share some news with you guys today.
0: Now, what first led yeah. you to Gladney? How did that start?
1: So I was familiar. I grew up in Euless. Uh, generationally, we were from there. And so I was familiar with uh, Gladney from a little bit from an adoption standpoint. I have an older brother who's adopted, wasn't from Gladney, but we lived in San Antonio at the time. Um, and, uh, and so I was familiar with adoption, familiar about who we are. Uh, my wife and I, when we came back from Louisiana after college and started, uh, began to start a family, we struggled like so many families do. So we looked at uh, going through the adoption process and actually looked at China. Um, At that time, this was in uh, 2000, and decided, let's look at adoption. And as with international adoption, sometimes it has its ups and downs, and it hit kind of a down moment for for a minute. So we switched over to the domestic program, and during that time frame, my wife uh, got pregnant. Uh, Unfortunately, we lost that child, but we realized at that moment that uh, adoption still called on our heart and uh, we were going to let the, the the good Lord determine what was best for us, and we were blessed um, uh, just a few short months later to get pregnant again. And that beautiful child is now 17, sitting in the audience with us. And Amen. and so we were fortunate. But I learned about Glady at that moment. And being in the in the healthcare industry in in Fort Worth, I worked for the hospital system here for a while, the Harris system, and was familiar with it. And when this opportunity came up, and they needed help to grow. The organization, uh, I I jumped at it. I'll tell one one quick story. Mm-hmm. Um, our former CEO um, that was, preceded me, and then his boss interviewed me at the time. I had a great job, and I didn't need a job, so that's a wonderful place to be when you're interviewing. And I said, uh, they said, well, we, we want you to come to Gladney and, and do some work. I said, well, why do I why should I come there? And the 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 CEO before me gave a very strategic and formal answer, business minded and business planning and. The, the, his predecessor sat there and said, well, there are a lot of kids in this world that need our help. And we think you can help us do it. And wow. I thought that's a much, much better
0: answer. That's so I was awesome. excited to join that. That's awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about sure. Gladney. Tell us its history sure. and its vision, its focus. Give us an introduction to it.
1: So so Gladney, we have a very simple belief. Every child deserves a loving, caring family. And when we say every, we mean every child, whether it be in this country, whether it be with a birth mother who's trying to make an adoption plan or a child coming from an orphanage from around, around the world. We are blessed here to be able to provide services. And that's what our belief is. We're 132 years old this next year. Um, Since that time, we've placed a little over 32,000 kiddos into loving, caring families. And so we're blessed to get to do what we do. But it's interesting, our origins began way back in the 1800s, sort of in the orphan train movement. Maybe you've heard some of that, where kiddos were let off the trains as they came south. And at that time, our our leader, his name, he was a Methodist circuit riding minister, Reverend Morris, um, took these kiddos in, he and his wife, Belle, and found his homes for as many as they could. Uh, mrs gladney got involved in the 20s and she really developed a passion for our expectant moms and birth parents she realized that kiddos were being left on the doorstep and she wanted to know where they were coming from so she began a lot of programming support for birth parents to realize how can we first help these young mothers be mothers and not have to look at adoption as that option And, and then if adoption is needed then we could provide those services from there that's continuing to grow in the in the late 80s early 90s we started working a lot in the international communities it's had its ups and downs as maybe you've read Mm -hmm. and then towards the end of the 90s we really changed a focus still working with our expectant moms still working with international adoption but really began to identify the needs that were here in the great state of Texas in our community and that was to work with kiddos that were coming out of foster care and the gap that was being left there so we kind of came full circle all the way back around from Reverend Morris and his time with us um, all the way to today.
0: Uh, That's wonderful so I know from my own personal journey and experience that when you start figuring out how do you engage in in the qualities of orphan care, that there's a lot of different terms, a lot of different nuances, a lot of different ways to do that. Help us get kind of a picture of, of the different ways people can understand caring for orphans, and in particular, what Gladney's focus sure, is.
1: Sure, So obviously, our, our Bible talks a lot about uh, caring for orphans and widows. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've seen now, the, the shift in in the in the U.S. a little bit, we don't necessarily have orphanage in, anymore. Many of you may remember, have been in Fort Worth a long time, the Masonic Home and great institutions like that, which were orphanages in different homes that were around. A number of years ago, they began to phase those out because they realized group housing like that of kiddos was not good. Um, um, And so they started really building up on the foster care system and helping kiddos there. If you go back a little bit, looking internationally, there are still orphanage partners that we work with around around the globe. It's unfortunate because we do see that quote unquote kind of warehousing that still goes on. A lot of kiddos Mm -hmm. that are there that um, they're they're truly orphans, meaning their parents have, have passed away and there's nobody to care for them and they're living in that environment. But most of the kids that we see today that we work with in the United States, Many of them are coming out of the foster care system, Um, and and so there's sort of the distinction between that some of them are truly orphan, meaning their parents have passed away, and some are not. Unfortunately, the states have determined that the parents maybe are not in a good place to care for that child, and we need to protect them differently.
0: Mm -hmm. So if a child is in foster care, um, who do they typically end up with? Is it a family member, or is it? or is it a wide variety?
1: That's that's a great question. There's a little bit of confusion how the process works, and it's evolving still. So in a situation where um, somebody has determined that maybe a child is at risk, usually a phone call is made to the police or to Child Protective Services, CPS, and an agent will come out and do sort of an evaluation, evaluation assessment to see what's going on in that home, and they may make the determination that the child is simply not safe there. If that happens, they identify with one of our local uh, partners in this area and where we are, region. 3B. There won't be a test. You don't have to remember that. (laughs) Um, Our community, our kids, in conjunction with ACH, Children and Family Services, they have a task. Within four hours, they have to find a home for that child. Usually it's a stable foster home that's sort of an immediate respite. And then all the legal side kicks in of like, okay, what actually happened and what are we going to do with this child and how are we going to care for this child? The focus within the state is reunification. They want to see that child go back with a family and we absolutely agree with that if it's the right circumstances for the family. Eventually, if they determine that says this child is not fit to go back with birth mother, birth father, for whatever reason, They look closely at kinship. They want to see if there's aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, Mm -hmm. people like that out there that can care for this child, somebody who already knows the child. Mm -hmm. Research and data shows us extensively that if a child can be replaced with a family member, somebody they're connected to, their their outcomes are usually so much better. Mm -hmm. Um, In many cases, unfortunately, there's nobody there to serve in that capacity. And so that's where what we do at Gladney sort of kick in in that process. We work with a lot of families who are fostering to adopt, but their real intention is adoption. Mm-hmm. and then the majority of the placements that we'll do out of foster care, what we call matched adoption. Those are kiddos that um, they're not going to go back to mom and dad. Um, they're not going to go to an aunt or uncle or a grandparent or something like that. And now they just sit in the system. Hopefully they're living with a, a caring, loving foster parent, but that parent may or may not going to be a, a, a available to adopt them, and that's sort of where we kick in. We work with those kiddos to find them homes as many as we can.
0: And that word we talked about over the phone and before is permanency, right? yes. You're, you're finding the children who have kind of gone through the foster care system in terms of reunification, that, that's no no longer really an option, and so now you're trying to find a permanent home, correct?
1: That's exactly right. Permanency is the key word that we use, and as I said, every child deserves a loving, caring, permanent family That. That they can call home, um, the kiddos that we work. So I'll give you an example here in the great state of Texas. Um, there, are, it, it the number goes up and down, but there's between twenty-five and thirty thousand kiddos that are currently living in foster care. Of that amount, there's about seven thousand five hundred who are legally available for adoption today. Hmm. And what that means is either they're in a what they would call a long-term permanency plan. The foster home that they're in is a stable environment and the child is not seeking adoption, and and the foster family says it's okay, they can just stay with us until they're 18. About half of those kiddos, though, are in a placement where that's not the long-term plan. They are actively looking, or we're actively looking, to find a home for these kiddos. So that leaves us almost 4,000 kids in Texas right now that are seeking a loving, caring family. Unfortunately, a lot of these kiddos are getting older, as we've talked about. At 18, they age out of the system. And as they get older, it becomes more difficult when you think about adoptive parents coming forward and saying, we're going to take a child who's a little bit older. But that's the audience that we work with.
0: Okay. Man, that's really helpful. So one of the things I'll chime in here, church, is, you know, in the first part of November, November 10th, we'll have an opportunity to revisit this issue. It's Orphan Sunday. We celebrated it last year. And, and just by hearing Mark's answers, uh, there are numerous ways we can engage, and as a church, what we're going to continue to explore is how do we help with prevention, right? How do we help families stay intact that are at risk? How do we help with reunification, right, if there needs to be some, some bridge to allow a family to reunify? But then also, how do we help with permanency? How do we help with placement? And so keep those... Those different categories in mind as we move forward as a church as well.
1: If I can add to that, yes, we follow the same model as the state. The first thing they look for is the safety of the child. Mm -hmm. How can we make sure that child's safe? And they want to keep the siblings together. They want to keep them in their home community if possible. That's why they're um, always actively recruiting foster families in our community so the kiddos can stay close. They can stay in their school. They can stay in their church environment, hopefully. And in that time, back to reunification, we can work together. Our goal follows the same thing. If we can provide Mm -hmm. resources and support to help that child go back home that's critical Uh, in the country last year they passed a bill called the um, uh, Families First uh, 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 Reunification Prevention um, Mm -hmm. Act what they're trying to do is provide services to those families if a child is removed from a home how do we help them get back in into that home what was happening before is when a child was removed they would say to the parents okay go off kind of clean up your mess get yourself together and we'll check up on you in a few weeks and if things are better we'll send the 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 child back home that didn't always work. Uh, as you can imagine with drug addiction and other abuses that are out there, that didn't work. So what the, the, the US is trying to do now is implement programs to help them get prepared. How do they change the path that they were on and get them back in place? Mm-hmm. But that's where so many wonderful church communities come, in, uh, come into play with reunification back into a home or with adoption, with kinship. We all know it takes a village to raise a child, mm-hmm. especially one that's been through tra- trauma. And that's where a church community becomes so vitally important to provide resources and support for those families. No, that's wonderful.
0: Good insight. Yeah. When you when you think about the up to, would you say almost 4,000 kids yeah. that, are, that are looking for a home more or less, uh, that's I think obviously a word that we can use is, is crisis, yeah. right? And so help elaborate a little bit further yeah. on the, the adoption crisis the foster care crisis what's sure. causing it and, and how do we create a greater awareness for those needs
1: uh, it, you know across the country it's 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 just amazing to see and, and 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 the blessing of what we get to do at Gladney is is truly a blessing but unfortunately we see the dark side of things as well as we review files of kiddos that are coming to us to staying with us and that we're trying to place and you realize in this world a lot of lot of a lot of negative a lot of bad stuff goes on we are seeing unfortunately a growth as a result of the o- opioid crisis I'm You've heard a lot about that on the news. Um, We're seeing a lot of parents who are really struggling, and those kiddos are being taken away as a result of that, and they're not getting the help they need. Um, We're seeing an overcrowding within the system, and you may have read in the paper, and unfortunately, Texas, I give them credit, they're doing a lot to try to change the system, but they're one of the ones that got sort of a black eye of kiddos that were literally living in in caseworker offices for days Mm -hmm. on end because there were no foster homes for them. When we talk about the crisis, that's what we're really seeing. The kiddos simply don't have a place to go. So we're looking for more, not only foster families, but adoptive families as well, and that network to grow to be able to provide better resources. There's a stat that talks about in the, in the U.S., and, and you may have heard this, of, of, all, of the, all of the churches that are across the U.S. If every church would take one child, we'd empty the system almost instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not that easy, as, as the numbers would make it seem, but there's certainly an influence that can be done that way.
0: Yeah, wow. Well. So when you think about that crisis um, mm-hmm. and all those lists of needs, and and we've kind of talked broadly for a moment, what are some ways that we can step in? What are some practical ways that individuals can step in and help?
1: So the first one is the obvious one. We're always looking for wonderful parents who want to adopt Mm -hmm. or want to be a foster uh, parent as well. There's a tremendous need that's for that right now in the community. I realize not everybody is, is is able to do that, and that's not where their calling is, I'll, I'll call it. Um, certainly advocacy and support and financially, which y'all are doing an amazing thing, certainly absolutely helps because it allows us to go out and recruit families and tell our stories for this process as well. One thing that to me is is a very tangible thing, and, a, and it's a personal thing for me, um, a number of years ago, this very church used to host kind of a respite night mm-hmm. for, for, for families in foster care and adoptive placement. Um, when we adopted our son, now a little over five years ago, um, that first year was a learning experience for all of us. And, you know, we had good days and we had bad days and we had struggles as well. Um, we had two beautiful biological daughters and we brought in our son, which was so loving and caring, but he had had a rough little time. And so we were having to work through that. Once a month, we would bring him here and he would have a movie and pizza night, and it gave us sort of a respite moment that we would get to go out and just have dinner with our daughters and catch up a little bit on on things, and and he had an absolute blast. That was such a wonderful service. So respite care is absolutely tremendous um, in this environment advocating for friends or, or, and family members who have adopted or fostering, that little break is such a tremendous thing. My wife and I were talking about on the way over, we just placed a sibling group of three with a with a family and their kiddos have had a rough little life and they, they had no children. We were thinking about just on a Saturday, wouldn't be great if we could take their kids for a few hours so they could go Christmas shopping. Yeah. That's one of the things that's just tough to do because sometimes our families don't understand and sometimes the kiddos can be a little bit of a challenge and so to have that respite care is tremendous.
0: Oh, that's huge. Um, when you think about a, ch- a family that is is feeling prompted towards adoption, mm-hmm. uh, what are some of the the first steps that you would encourage them to consider and to take if they're feeling that nudge? So. First thing I'd say is to pray about it. We
1: get so many wonderful Mm -hmm. messages from the Lord that tells us so much. A lot of times we see in the church environment when we're advocating for a child, a couple will be sitting there and they'll see that beautiful child and go, oh, I'm I'm in church and they're calling me to that child. That may be the case. It may not be the case. It may be the case that you're there to help find a family for that child. Um, But if somebody has that calling and says, yes, this is something we would like to do. We've been blessed and we have maybe more than we need and we want to help others. Um, It's a relatively simple process, believe it or not, within the foster system. And it's relatively quickly. I'll use Gladney as an example. Usually we invite families to an orientation. We kind of talk about the nitty-gritty. I won't get into now, but what the adoption process looks like and some of the challenges and some of the opportunities with the kiddos. Families can decide if they want to foster or foster to adopt or just straight adopt. There's a lot of options that are within that. Um, I was talking to a gentleman earlier this morning, he was talking about he and his wife that had had fostered a number of children um, and the blessing that they had from that and the the influence they had over those beautiful children. That's a wonderful opportunity there. Um, But then you go through a process of, of once you're deciding this is where we're ready to move forward with adoption, we go through a home study process that's very intense, um, but it's a great exercise because what we do, we realize these kiddos have come from trauma, so we wanna learn about the trauma that maybe you've come from. And a lot of times people say, no, 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 I've had a good life, i had no trauma. But my, 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 my parent died when I was very young, or I fought in a war, or I did this, and that those layer traumas onto us, and that all affects how we parent. And so we go through that process, and then once we're there, we then talk about the child that's going to be right for your home. And we go through the series of steps, whether it's a domestic infant placement, whether it's an international adoption or out of foster care, we go through these steps to find the right child that's the right fit for your home. A lot of times we look at a lot of families and say, oh, my gosh, I can never do what they did. They adopted a child that had severe medical needs. That was the right child for their home. That's not for every child, or that's not for every family. Um, So we go through that process. And then, It's pretty simple. Out of the foster system, it becomes a matching standpoint. Once we learn about you, we go to the state and say, hey, these are the kiddos that are out there that are available. We want to match with one of our families, and we start making that match. We have a few visits, and we go from there. The key is, though, there's a tremendous amount of education and training that goes into it to prepare Mm -hmm. you, but then also on the back end, the support network that's there, as we talked about, as a church community and as an organization, how do we help prepare you for those challenges that may
0: or may not be there? Mm. Such a critical process, and it's... Definitely required and necessary to have agencies like Gladney with that expertise, which is a tremendous help to those that are feeling led to to pursue it. And one of the things that I was really uh, intrigued by and encouraged by is we had a chance to meet and several of us on staff came and had a chance to tour Gladney is this new venture that you guys are working towards the Gladney home. Tell us about that.
1: So the Gladney home is, is, is new from one phase of it, but old from another. So Gladney's operated a maternity residential home on one of its campuses. We used to be off Hemphill behind the hospitals for a number of years, and now we're right down um, by, uh, by uh, Harris Southwest. Um, we've always, uh, for 70-plus years, we've operated a maternity home. As I said, Mrs. Gladney, that was a critical piece to her. How are we caring for these young women? What we've learned over the last decade, the need for residential maternity services has not been as great. Um, We've been able to tap into services within the community where our our expectant moms are coming from, and we've learned if we can surround her by a network of support in her home community, that's actually better for her. And as we've seen sort of the need for the residential home go down, we decided to have a conversation with our board to decide what do we do with this facility. We have a 30-bed facility on our campus in Fort Worth. We actually went to the state and raised our hand and said, "Hey." we've got this thing here. What do you guys want to do? And they came back and said, our greatest need right now in this area and throughout the state is housing for teen and preteen girls living in foster care. And the light bulb went off and said, "It's well, kind of the audience we've worked with for a long, long time. Um, we think we can do that. And so just starting a couple of months ago, we started in bringing in teen and preteen girls to live in our home. Um, we're actually called a group residential operation um, is what our actual title is. But that's w- One of the stipulations that we had, as we said, we are an adoption agency. At the core of what we do is permanency. We don't just want to bring a a young lady in that this is going to be another stop along the way. We realize every time she has to move, that causes trauma to her, and it causes a less faith and trust in all of us. So we said this is the last stop for these young ladies. They will live with us. Um, until we provide a a permanent, loving, caring, adoptive family for them, or we're going to provide services to them ongoingly to help them be successful in life. So all the girls that live with us are legally available for adoption, parental rights have been terminated, there's no kin that's going to come back, and where they were, the foster family was not going to adopt them, so we're excited to get to grow this part of our organization. Um, we've started sort of getting our feet underneath this to, uh, with a handful of girls. Um, by the end of this, uh, by next April, we'll have 12 to 15 girls living with us, and by that time next year, we'll have just about filled it up. There's a tremendous need that's there, but all of these kiddos are available for adoption, um, and one of the areas, as Jeremy and I have talked a little bit, that's a wonderful opportunity for us to share some of their details as, as appropriate, um, so that maybe there's somebody sitting in this audience that says, We would like to adopt one of these young ladies, or I know someone, or let me get it out on my network to talk a little bit more about. Um, I will say, um, if you've come to us at this point in living in our home, things unfortunately have not gone real well. You've had a rough life. I know next mm-hmm. week y'all are going to hear about, uh, unfortunately, sort of the sex trafficking that goes on. Um, we've experienced that with some of the young ladies that are, that are in our home. And so they've had a rough life. In many cases, as you can imagine, they're not, they're not coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, they see us as just another sort of step along this journey where something's gone wrong. We spend all of our time from a counseling standpoint helping them realize that there are people out there that are pulling for them, that love them, that care for them that want to see them be successful. And that's a great opportunity for us to find those loving families. I will share, um, um, when a family comes to us to adopt a child out of the home, uh, one of the things we have to realize is they may never call you mom and dad because they have a mother and father that sometimes they don't understand why they were taken away from. Um, and so there may be some struggles that are there. They may never, it may not be this beautiful, lovely Oprah Winfrey moment like we mm-hmm. all wanted to b- believe on TV. Mm-hmm. But what we know is the impact that you're making, even if it's for a brief time until they turn 18, is tremendous. And it's laying a groundwork for success beyond that. We're there, though, as a partner. What we do at Gladney is walk hand-in-hand with you through this journey, through all of our families through this journey to say, whatever happens, whatever comes up, we're here as a support network to make sure that child is in the best care they can be and you as a family unit are in the best care you can be.
0: So powerful. I know that uh, you brought, is it Brittany? Brittany? Yeah. Brittany's here with us today as well, who also works at Gladney and she's got a table set up in the Welcome Center and so at the conclusion of the service today, uh, Mark and his family are gonna be in here for you all to come up and meet. Uh, they have information in the Welcome Center that you could also stop by, and I would encourage you as a church to, to do that, if at the very least is a reminder of how to pray um, and to continue to, to grow in your own understanding of this, because it is, it's, it's a complex issue with a lot of nuances to it, but it is so critical and so important for the body of Christ to take seriously. And so here in a second, we're going to pray over you. Um, but before we do, what, what's, what's kind of a final thought or word of encouragement to a church?
1: First of all, thank you. Thank you for your generosity and what you're doing. It's just such a tremendous, tremendous thing. You are making an incredible impact and, and, and I wish every family and child that you're touching could come up and say thank you. They can't, so I'm saying it for you. So thank you, number one, for that. Um, thank you for telling this story when you leave here today. Uh, that's a tremendous piece. A lot of times people that have been in this community a long time have heard the Gladney name and it's understand sort of a part of what we do. We are trying to grow that. What we've realized over the years is that there's so much more we can be doing to help these beautiful children that need our love and care, not only for that benefit of that child, but frankly for the benefit of society. 47% of the people right now that have currently incarcerated at some point spent time in foster care. Mm. Um, over 50% of the girls who age out of foster care will be pregnant by the time they're 20. Mm. Most uh, over a third will live at or below their poverty level. Most will be unemployed or, or incarcerated by the time they're 21. So many staggering statistics that we see of these of these children that need a loving caring hand um, just like what you're providing. If you know someone If you're called yourself, if you're touched by what you learn as we go through this process together, that's the time to raise your hand and say something. That's where the greatest need that we have. I will say this continue doing what you're doing. What I'm so excited to hear, and when Jeremiah, we're talking about this today and past when we've talked, um, I love what you're doing. You're not just standing up on high and pointing and saying, yes, these things need to be done. You're getting down in the trenches. Mm and you're doing it. You're putting literally your money where your mouth is, but you're stepping up and you're engaging and you're taking an active role in your community, which is absolutely tremendous. I'll offer one other thing. We'd love to have anybody come out and see Gladney. Um, we love our home. We love our facility. Our staff are dedicated. We almost have a hundred employees that are working literally around the clock trying to find homes for kiddos. So we'd love for you to come see it. If you have questions or thoughts or just anything you wanna learn, we'd love to have a conversation with you. So we're, we're so blessed to get to have this relationship and begin this time together i want to i'll talk with jeremiah um, offline about how we can begin to show some of the kiddos that we're currently working with um, not only in the great state of texas and out of the foster but internationally with kiddos that we work with we've seen that change over time Um, but some kiddos that are desperately needing a home if we have the opportunity to share some information about them and you may know someone that says yes somebody may be interested that's just such a tremendous benefit for us there
0: absolutely well we are so grateful here i'll take the mic from you and uh, let's put our hands together to say a word of thank you to Mark and his family for being here. Let's come down here. I want to pray over you guys. Uh, if the rest of you could stand for a moment as we pray and as we did last week, some of you that are maybe nearby that would feel comfortable coming forward to just lay hands over our brother here. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. But y'all come, come on down and I'm going to pray for us and then offer a final concluding thought uh, as we wrap up our time. Father in heaven, we thank you so much uh, for Mark, and we thank you, really, uh, for his family and, and the, the, the greater family that he represents here today, uh, a family that has commissioned themselves to a task to care for those that are in crisis, those that are in need. Um, Father, there are so many children from all ages that are desperate to have somebody welcome them in and, and tell them that they're loved and tell them that they're safe. And God, as as your children and as we have been recipients of a grace that has allowed us to feel that sort of safety and that sort of love, we pray, God, that you would give us the courage and the wisdom and the knowledge to know how we can extend that to others. We are grateful for organizations like Gladney um, and the way that they are constantly seeking to meet those needs. And we pray, God, that you would go before them, that you would equip them, that you would empower them to do so in a very meaningful and tangible way. God, that you would raise up churches um, to, to come alongside them and people um, help us grow as a, as a congregation to know how we can partner with them n- not to to develop some program or or to have some event God but to truly impact a life um, and to change it and to do so father in a manner that brings you glory I pray that you would give wisdom to Mark uh, that you'd give him a rest that you'd give him peace uh, in his home and in his workplace as he seeks to lead you father that you protect him as he seeks to do your work, uh, that you'd go before uh, his family and that you would strengthen them as they also seek to be a testimony to your grace and to the cause that they are so faithfully serving. Uh, So we thank you for this opportunity. And we entrust all these things that have been discussed now to you and ask that you would continue to lead us as we seek to bring you the glory that you so richly deserve. For it's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, church. Put your hands together for him one more time. You all can be seated. have a quick seat. I, I'm going to have a, just a final thought. It, you don't have to turn there, but Acts chapter 4 is kind of where we're camping out for these Q&A sessions. And there's, there's two verses I'm going to read to you this morning, and then we're going to show you a quick video that, that Mark brought with us, or brought with him today. And I want to kind of set the stage for that. But in chapter 4, what we have here, if you remember, is Peter uh, heals the crippled man, and then we have this discussion, this, this preaching opportunity where Peter explains this message of hope through Jesus Christ. He invites people to repent. And then the chief priests and the, the, the officials of the guard, they, they bring Peter and John in for questioning. They actually arrest them and put them in jail overnight. And so this is the first demonstration of resistance against the gospel that we see in the book of Acts. And so the next day, they come forward and they say, now whose name did you do these things in? And Peter and John say, Listen, if we're having to give an account for an act of kindness, then, then rest assured we've done this in the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead. And so the chief priests and these elders, they instruct them never to do anything in this name again. And Peter's response is, well, what's right for us to listen to you or to listen to God? We cannot keep but speaking. We cannot help but keep speaking about that which we have seen and heard. And so they are given more threats from the chief priests and the elders are told and warned never to do this again, and then they send them on their way. And when they send them on their way, they go back to the, the early church, they go back to the community of the believers and they report everything that has taken place, and then they pray. And that's gonna be a theme that we continue to build upon here as a church. Right, it's part of why we're gathering tonight to worship and we we pray. And the body of Christ comes together and they pray. Now, last week we looked at kind of this concluding summary statement at the end of chapter four, where we saw that what was really going on was God's grace powerfully at work within the body of believers. But what I wanna point us to this morning is these, these final two verses that show us how they conclude this prayer. Let me read this to you. Chapter four, verse 29. Now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name Of your holy servant Jesus. I love that image of God stretching out his hand to heal. And there's something powerful about outstretched hands, aren't there? And and that's part of what I want us to consider this morning. You know, a lot of times when we stretch out our hands to help someone, a lot of times it can be reactionary or momentary, right? We pass somebody on the side of the road that needs money, and so we stretch out our hands and we give, or or we see someone fall and we stretch out our hands and, and help them up. And those are meaningful gestures, powerful gestures. But there's a a, a more powerful position and posture that we can take with outstretched hands that provides perhaps a more proactive response and a more long-term and enduring healing. It's when we outstretch our hands to receive and to welcome someone in. We stretch out our hands for an embrace, perhaps a hug. And when we do so, we're communicating, here you are welcome, here you are loved in this space, in this moment, in this time, you can be assured that I'm with you, that you're home. And that's the sort of posture that we're talking about here. Outstretched hands can heal. You see the early church praying this prayer. God, stretch out your hand and heal. And maybe in some ways that's what he's saying to us. Church, stretch out your hand and heal. And when we do so, we do so With a reminder that we're following the model of our savior because the greatest healing that the world has ever known is when he stretched out his hands and hung on the cross for you and for me and when he did so he gave us an invitation assuring us that not just for a moment but for all eternity we are loved we are forgiven we are received we are welcome and that in his arms we're home